This evening we are going to consider Paul's God. Paul's God. We'll look at Romans chapter 1. If you turn to Romans chapter 1. Having considered the Apostle Paul's opening greetings, his opening salutation last week, we're just going to consider a few verses tonight, verses 8 through to 10 in chapter 1. We'll read them now. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all that your faith is spoken of throughout the whole world For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing I make mention of you always in my prayers, making request, if by any means now, at length, I might have a prosperous journey by the will of God to come unto you. In verse 8, it can be seen that God was the object of Paul's love. You see that, look at that, how that verse starts. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all. He was not shy about proclaiming God as his God. He said, my God. He wanted not only to proclaim God, but to proclaim his relationship with God. In this day and age, people avoid talking about God altogether. It's just not politically correct to talk about God. They say you never talk about, what, politics and religion, but I would say especially religion. You get away with talking politics, but uh, generally speaking, you don't talk about God. Well, you're not supposed to. And to talk about Jesus, to talk about the gospel can be, and often is, a conversation killer. The schools, the media, and our leaders with their ungodly laws are, by and large, trying their level best to remove the reality and the existence of God. So, imagine not only speaking about God, but referring to God as your God. You would leave yourself wide open to ridicule and scorn for claiming that there is a God. That's to start off with. Any talk, as I say, talk about God, you're going to get some ridicule. There will be a response. When all the non-existence evidence clearly tells us that there was a big bang, after which we all evolved from an inanimate something or other, that magically appeared from nothing. People would readily accept that rubbish rather than simply accept that in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. But to lay claim to the creator God as being your God will inevitably provoke an even greater reaction and it may well alienate you from people you've known, family, friends, 
doesn't matter. You will find that you will be alienated if not only you claim God, the existence of God, but you claim him as your God. And you do that in a world that is populated by sinfully foolish people who say that there is no God. People who refuse to bow before their maker and they refuse to be accountable to God. In verse 8, Paul didn't just say, I thank my God. He qualified that statement, not that he needed to, by saying, I thank my God through Jesus Christ. Paul made the point that it is in and through God's beloved and only begotten Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, that God blesses people like us, natural born sinners. As it is written in Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who have blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. What that means is that all who belong to Jesus, having trusted in him as repentant sinners, have received from God every spiritual blessing, including the forgiveness of sins, everlasting life, reconciliation with God, the right and the great privilege of knowing and addressing God as your God, as my God. It's all through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. After his resurrection from the dead, having completed the redemptive work that his father sent him to do, Jesus said to Mary Magdalene, Go to my brethren and say unto them, I ascend unto my father and your father, and to my God and your God. In the first instance, the brethren that Mary Magdalene was to go to, they were the disciples who were with Jesus at that time. But beyond that, the brethren are all who trust in the incarnate Son of God as their saviour from sin. That excludes all the um, followers of the various religions of the world and all the religious Jews who reject Jesus as their Messiah, just as much as it excludes all atheists. It is only a Christian who can refer to God as my God. What a privilege that is. Tremendous privilege. You don't have to be an apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ to say, my God. If you belong to Jesus, you should be bold in proclaiming God as your God. For God has not given you a spirit of timidity or cowardice. Think about it. When you talk to others about God and you refer to him as your God, it is a tremendous witness to boldly proclaim God as your God. And if it pleases your God, it could be the start of a very fruitful conversation and a time of witness. And if your words are met with hostility, well, so be it. 
So be it. I would say that it is a privilege when you proclaim God as your God and you are the recipient of hostility, insults, persecution. What do you do? You rejoice. Because that in itself is God speaking to you and saying that you are my son or my daughter. I would much rather receive hostility from proclaiming God as my God than never receiving any hostility from anyone and not knowing God. It is a great privilege. Let's have a look at verse 8 again. First I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all that your faith is spoken of throughout the whole world. The Apostles' thanksgiving to his God was for all the Roman believers in Jesus, not just a few of them. Why did Paul give thanks for all of the Roman Christians? Look at it again. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all, that your faith is spoken of throughout the whole world. The answer is because their faith was being spoken of far and wide. That really was something to thank God for when you appreciate that Rome was the capital city of a pagan empire. We ought to pray that the news of a genuine, living and active faith in the only true God and in his Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, might spread beyond the closed borders of our little island home and reach far and wide to the glory of God. That people would be talking, they would hear about a living faith in God. People owning God as their God, even here at this church. Let's have a look at verse 9. For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing I make mention of you always in my prayers. Paul appealed to none other than his God, as being a witness to his praying without ceasing ceasing for the Roman believers. And let's face it, you won't get a better witness than Almighty God, the God who does not lie, the God who cannot lie, God who can do all things, but to lie would go against his, his holy character. To have God as your witness to something That is special, isn't it? You won't get a better, a more reliable witness than God. One who knows all the thoughts and all the intents of your heart. And you as a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, you who owns God as your God, when you say, as God is my witness, and then you go on to make a statement, you make that statement knowing that your God knows everything that's going on. Many ungodly people appeal to God, whom they have absolutely no relation with, 
And then they proceed to tell a pack of lies. It's a terrible thing to do, but it happens all the time. For example, in court witness boxes, what do people do? They make an oath, they swear on by Almighty God, and then they lie through the teeth. This is the world we live in. The God of this world was a liar from the beginning. This is a world that spins on an axis of lies and deceit. For Paul to say, for God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his son, that without ceasing I make mention of you always in my prayers, we have to take that very seriously when he appeals to God as being his witness. We can be sure that he did precisely that, that he made mention of the Roman Christians, all of them, always. In verse 9, the apostle said that he served God. When we serve God, that is our act of worship. I say that because the Greek word that has been translated serve in verse 9 there, for God is my witness whom I serve. That word that has been translated serve is also translated as worship elsewhere in the Bible. For example, in Acts chapter 24 and verse 14, Paul said, But this I confess unto thee, that after the way which they call heresy... So worship I the God of my fathers. That same word there can be translated, so serve I the God of my fathers, believing all things which are written in the law and in the prophets. So looking again at verse 9 there, we see that Paul served God or worshipped God with his spirit. In other words, his service was not merely outward. It proceeded from his heart. It was, as Calvin said, with sincere devotion of heart. Therefore, true service or true worship of God ought not to be done in some legalistic way, but rather willingly with a God-given heart's desire to serve and to worship God. How can that happen? How can we serve God, worship God in our spirit, uh, again, as Calvin said, with sincere devotion of heart? How is it possible to do that? When most of this world doesn't even recognise God and refuses to accept the reality of God. That kind of service or worship can only ever proceed from a heart in which Jesus dwells by faith. Can you see that your service to God and indeed your worship in church is in vain? It's meaningless, it's empty if it does not proceed from a heart that has been touched by saving grace. A heart that has been given faith, filled with faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Your worship, your service to God will mean nothing. It will count for nothing. Last of all, in verse 9, 
we see that Paul's service to God was in the gospel of God's Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. The verse says nothing about the preaching, the preaching of the gospel, just the gospel. Obviously, the Apostle Paul was a great preacher of the gospel, but that's not what he's saying in verse 9. No doubt preaching is included, but for Paul, gospel service included praying without ceasing for the Roman believers. Part of our gospel service or our gospel worship includes intercessory prayer. The Apostle Paul, he prayed for the Romans, the Roman believers, and we too have a ministry of intercession I can testify with God as my witness. I'm daring to to quote Paul here. I, I testify with God as my witness that I am greatly encouraged to know that there are believers who pray for my ministry. People pray on Wednesday evening, for example, for the Sunday services. And I greatly appreciate that. I guess it's worth remembering that the next time you or I glibly say, I'll be praying for you. How often do we say that as Christians? I'll be praying for you. Maybe I'm the only one, but do we always go ahead with it? It sounds nice at the time. When you say that, mean it and do it, knowing that your great heavenly high priest, the Lord Jesus Christ, He will present your prayer requests to your Heavenly Father. Just as the Lord Jesus Christ would have presented all of Paul's unceasing prayers to God for the Romans, the Roman Christians. Well, have a look at verse 10. Making request if by any means now at length I might have a prosperous journey by the will of God to come to you. The apostle's request to his God was that he might visit the Roman Christians and spend some time with them. He wasn't sure that that would ever happen and he took nothing for granted. That is apparent here in verse 10 and with no need to turn to it but it's also very clear in chapter 15 verses 30 through to 32. Paul knew that whether or not he would eventually get to Rome was dependent on the will of God. Everything was according to God's will, as far as Paul was concerned. Being in God's will was of primary importance to Paul, as indeed it was to the Lord Jesus Christ, who came into the world not to do his own will, but to do the will of his father who sent him and what was the will of the father who sent his son into the world that he should Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners when you are doing God's will then you can be content with whatever situation you find yourself in and whatever the outcome I said that earlier Providing you are in God's will, it really doesn't matter. Nothing really matters more than being in God's will. If God is your God. 
For example, the Apostle Paul prayed on three occasions to the Lord that his affliction, described as a thorn in the flesh, might depart from him. However, knowing that the messenger of Satan was God's will to stop him getting big-headed and proud, Paul took pleasure in his infirmities and reproaches, knowing that it was God's will for him, for his good. Paul was not shy about making requests to his God, and neither should we be. After all, he did say in another one of his epistles, be careful for nothing but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. The more you feed on the word of God as you prayerfully read the Bible, the more you will know the will of God. And the will, and that will inevitably help you to pray according to God's will. I shouldn't criticise, but I do sometimes wonder when I hear people saying to me, God spoke to me and he told me to do this and he told me to do that. And sometimes I might just say, okay, but um, does that agree with the scriptures, what God told you to do there? Is God really telling you to marry someone who's not a Christian? Or whatever it is. How do we discern God's will? Primarily, it's from the scriptures. Most, if not all of us, know the prayer that the Lord Jesus Christ taught his disciples. What's that prayer? Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come. Think about these words as I'm saying it. Think who the prayer focuses on. I'll start again. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, or holy is your name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive them that trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation. Deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom. The power and the glory. Forever. Amen. That prayer is the perfect example of praying in accordance with God's will. Now I wonder why that is. Why do you think it, uh, I say that it is the perfect example because of the one who taught that prayer, the incarnate Son of God. And it is a prayer that I pray almost every day, and I've been doing so for as long as I've been a Christian, coming on 30 years now. It is one of those prayers I never get tired of. I know it sounds repetitive, but hey, When I'm praying that prayer, I'm praying scripture. I'm praying biblically. I'm praying for God's will to be done. That's how I start my day. It doesn't work out that way. But 
That is how I commit my day to God. Acknowledging his holiness. Praying for God's will, my God's will to be done. And I pray it, as I say, nearly every day. However, don't hold back from praying if you're not sure that your request is acceptable to God. You know if you're praying that prayer that the Lord taught, it is acceptable to God. It has to be. But when you pray other prayers, when you're praying to God, don't be shy, don't hold back. Think about it. If you have a child who wants to ask something of you but isn't sure whether you'll approve or not, you would prefer your child to ask than to keep quiet. You can always say no. Therefore, if God is your God and your Father, ask him, but do so remembering that he is holy. Holy is his name and to him be the glory in all that you ask for. That's a good rule of thumb, isn't it? When you're praying, to remember that God is a holy God and seek to glorify him. If you are a child of God, I can only imagine that you would not want to embark on a journey or a project without committing it to your God. Take Paul, for example, if ever he was going to make that perilous journey from Corinth across the sea to Rome, he most certainly would not rely on Lady Luck. His dependence would be on his God. I feel like that when I get on an aeroplane and I go somewhere on an aeroplane. I'll just commit it to God, normally because I've got my family with me. I'm more concerned about my family than myself. But once I've done that, that's it. Move on. Move on. Do whatever I'm going to do. Read a book or whatever. I'm happy once I've committed it to my God. It's in his hands. I can't imagine even embarking on a new day without committing it to my God. And yet there are people, including some in here this evening, not many of us in here, but there will be some in here now who drift from day to day in their own strength and in their own wisdom. Well, let me tell you that the weakness of Almighty God is greater than your strength and the foolishness of God is greater than any worldly wisdom that you possess. Therefore, if that is you, repent, cry out to God, acknowledging your sins, and seek his mercy, pleading nothing other than the Lord Jesus Christ and his work of salvation that culminated in him being lifted up to die as a sacrificial lamb. And may it please God for you to know him as your God. Amen.